Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and today we're talking early season whitetails. We're about 10 days away from the bow opener here in Wisconsin, and I am getting pretty fired up. I've gotten some good intel from my cameras, finally. I've glassed up a really nice buck the other evening in a field that I have access to. I've located a few oaks that are just raining acorns, so I am pretty optimistic heading into this early season. But at the same time, I know that the early season remains a bit of a mystery to me. Now, I know that food is king this time of year. I know that bucks are sticking close to their beds and not moving a ton in daylight this time of year. And I know that uh, in the early season, it's a great time to harvest a good buck since they've now gone nine months or so without experiencing any hunting pressure. And they are probably more patternable right now than they will be as the season goes on. But the truth remains that I have just really struggled with uh, putting a deer on the ground during the early season. So I wanted to have someone on to help us think through some early season tactics. Now, as I was poking around online, I found a guy named Anthony Heller. If you're not familiar with Anthony, he hosts a podcast called Deer Vein and is putting out a lot of good stuff on Instagram and TikTok and a couple of other social media platforms. I uh, I really have enjoyed his one-minute tips and tactics videos he's got on Instagram. And uh, I also just found his whitetail series of podcasts he did last year, where he devoted nine episodes each to early season, to pre-rut and rut, and then to the late season tactics. And so uh, I'm looking forward to diving into those. Uh, But as I I found Anthony's stuff, I really wanted to get him on the podcast to hear not only about his experience hunting in the early season and what he's found helpful, but also glean some of the information that he's learned by talking to a ton of other folks who are just deer-killing machines in the early season. So Um, We're going to jump into the conversation with Anthony here in just a minute. But before we do, uh, I got to make a quick plug. I want to make sure uh, that you are all subscribed to this podcast, wherever it is that you access it. Uh, Please go and leave us a review so that we can know how we're doing and so we can know how we can make this a better resource for outdoors men and women here in the state of Wisconsin. And if I can ask a big favor of you, if you enjoy these podcast episodes that we're putting out, share them on social media. That's the best way that we can spread the word about what it is that we're trying to do here with the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. Uh, and also you can follow along with us on Instagram so that you can stay up to date with all the outdoor shenanigans that uh, me and my family, uh, I'm my family and I, I don't know how you say that, my family and I are doing uh, here over the next couple of weeks and then as we get on into hunting season. So with all of that out of the way, let's jump right into the conversation with Anthony Heller. All right. Joining me today is Anthony Heller. Anthony, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Josh. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. I recently came across uh, some of your stuff on Instagram. You're putting out some really good content. I, I in particular, really like this video that you put up about weather and you were like, don't let, you know, hot weather days or whatever, you know, keep you out of the woods and kind of stuff. So I was like, man, I I need to get this guy on because uh, I'll be honest, I've been struggling when it comes to 
to thinking about early season and how do I process early season tactics in, in a new state, essentially uh, just a totally different situation than I ever found myself in while hunting in the South. And so, uh, yeah, so I wanted to have you on talk a bit more, but uh, before we get into all of that, uh, could you tell me a little bit about sort of you and your hunting situation, um, where sure. you're hunting, what kind of land, um, how'd you describe your particular style, all the good stuff. Yeah. All right. So, yep. Again, Anthony Heller, I run, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok now even go wild account. Got one of those too. Um, and it's called deer vein. Um, and the whole purpose behind deer vein is to provide content for not like beginners, like, Hey, this is how you draw a bow. And this is like, this is an Oak tree. Like it's not, <laughs> I'm not super uh, beginner on that. My, my focus is people that have been trying to kill deer for a year or two and just aren't, haven't been successful and they need, they need that hump and year that they need that extra piece of help to get, uh, in year three or four or five to be successful. Cause I feel like one of the things is it's super hard to get people into hunting. Uh, and then once you get people into hunting, the next piece is being successful. And if you are unsuccessful for four five, six years, like people usually don't even make it five years. If you're unsuccessful for five years, they're most people will quit. Right. So my, my sure, objective in, sure. in order to keep more people in hunting and, and more, more the hunting community growing is through providing that content to help people get to that next stage. And, and not even necessarily like everybody wants to kill, you know, 140 inch or 150 inch or 160, whatever. Plus like some people, a lot of people that I talk to are just like, Hey man, can you help me get my first deer? I've been trying this for two years. I can't even get a doe within 40 yards of me. What am I doing wrong? Right. So, so that's the type of content I provide. Um, I do provide a lot of, uh, uh, mature buck, like, content where you're really chasing them down, um, type of thing. But I'll, I'll, I also do mostly like kind of 201 and 301 level content. And as far as my background goes, um, I've hunted, so I've never, I've been a really nomadic hunter in my life, just moving around a lot. Um, never had a really a property to call my own from the time I was roughly 16 to, uh, whatever, 23 or 24, I had hunted over 27 properties. So just really bouncing and bouncing and bouncing and getting opportunities on a lot of them, shanking a few, you know, getting a, making a few bad shots on some nice bucks, missing a couple, knocking down a few and getting them um, on the wall. So I usually get two to three opportunities at box over 140 inches every year. Um, and it's just whether or not, you know, I can seal the deal, right? Last year, like everything that I wanted to happen played out. I envisioned the deer coming in. And when I drew my bow, uh, he was at 20, 20 yards and he started walking backwards. So quartering away from me and he took like three or four steps. And in my mind, he took like 10. So I instantly just put my 30 pin on him rather than my 20 pin. And in all reality, he took three or four steps. I just shot right over his back. First time I've ever done that, you know, he was 24 yards and I shot him for 30 and just, I ah, just lost it. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. So, um, but you know, it, it happens and, and yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of my background, what I do and, 
and why I'm doing that. And then in, in real life, <laughs> in my real life, uh, I sell software, I sell construction software. So, um, and before that I was in, um, electrical contracting. So okay. electrical contracts as well. Nice. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do. And then as far as, um, public and private land about three years ago, we bought my family. Finally, um, we were able to all pitch in and we bought a hundred acres, um, in Southwest Wisconsin, bought it off Craigslist. It was a hell of a deal. Um, that's the up- dream. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It took us years to find it. And then the, the saw it on Craigslist. And I was like, dude, the pictures were from like the 1960s. They didn't even take updated Jeez. pictures. So I was like, dad, it's, it's I mean, it's a hundred acres. It says it has a Creek on it. It says it has some tillable and a lot of woods. We should at least go check this thing out. So we checked it out like three days after it was posted and had it purchased four days later. So we bought it within wow. a week. Um, yeah, yeah. The people were from <clears throat> Michigan and, uh, their dad died and he was from Chicago and he owned it and they wanted nothing to do with it. So they were just trying to get rid of it as fast as they could. And it was a hell of a price, way underpriced, but we jumped on it and made it work, <laughs> man. That's sweet. So now you kind of have a little place to kind of call your own, put yep. down some roots, put away some of the nomadic hunting behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And it still is an hour and a half from my house. So that that's, that's a hundred acres. And then, um, outside my house, I have about two chunks of public land that I've spent a lot of time on over the last six years. Um, and that's actually where I get most of my good buck opportunities is, um, this piece of public, two of them, uh, one's 2000 acres, one's uh, 4,000 acres and a lot of it. Don't, don't let that fool you. Like probably, 70 to 80% of each of those is like cattail marsh. So okay. it's a lot of duck hunters, um, a lot of water, but there's also a ton of deer and you're really kind of hunting the fringes and some pockets that you can dip into and whatnot. Um, but that's proven to be really, really successful for me um, in terms of seeing good deer. Um, I put trail cameras out there. Um, I really study that. I spend a lot of time in February, March, and April walking it. I've almost walked all of it, um, at this point. Um, and I've really kind of narrowed it down. I'm kind of one of those guys that's always, uh, the grass is always greener over that hill. Like there's, <laughs> there's a, there's a bigger buck on the other side of this woodlot. So I have to, for me, I have like FOMO fear of missing out. So I have to yeah. go check it out. Otherwise I'm going to always, I'm going to get in the tree and wonder what's over there. Yeah. So yeah. I, I like to know the lay of the land and the pieces that I'm hunting. And, um, when 6,000 acres comes across, like you can't do that all in a day. Right. Yep, <laughs> so it takes, sure. it takes years, years to, to walk it all years to scout it years to, to pinpoint some good spots. And I feel like I've gotten, gotten a, a handle on it, but I know there's a lot more that, that I can learn from it, especially, um, as we're talking today about the early season, because the early season I've, I've had some good opportunities early here. But at the, but most of them were, I don't want to say random. I picked, I picked the right spots based on scouting, um, in the spring. And, um, so I, I guess I picked the right areas. I just didn't, I didn't know that there was deer there. Like, Hmm. um, I didn't know there was a mature buck in the area, right. That's like, I didn't have cameras out or anything like that. I was just like, this looks good. I'm going to go give it a shot. Um, so yeah, that's, Sweet. that's the fun part. That's all my background. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we're, yeah, we're going to be talking today about, about early season. And uh, for those of us in Wisconsin, season comes in on September 18th this year. Uh, for those of you who are listening from some surrounding states, uh, maybe your opener is October 1st or a little bit later. Um, but we're going to be focusing on when we say early season today, what are we talking about? So we're talking about opening day through what? When would you say, okay, early season's over. Now we're kind of getting into the next the next <laughs> phase. And would you go straight from the early season to, to talking like pre-rut stuff? Or are you going to include like a two-week lull period in there? Like how are you conceptualizing the whole first part of the season leading up to November 1st? I think like mentally, I break it down based on the food. Okay. So like if you're, if you're in a state like North Dakota or South Dakota and you open September 1st, you're probably likely to have green soybeans, right? And soybeans are probably a, a decent food source at that time. This year with the weather being so dry, most of the soybean fields around me um, and September 18th, I'm going to have yellow beans in them, which pretty much turns the deer off. So then I'm moving I'm shifting any focus that I have on beans. I'm shifting all that over to, to acorns or, um, even sometimes like on a year, this dry, even some corn. Um, I have had like last year, a good friend of mine shot 155 inch buck eating corn on the cob at on opening day. So, you know, he was out there just pulling ears right off the stalks. Um, so that is, that is certainly something I like to focus on, but a, a lot of it is, is acorns. Um, and there's just so much browse right now, really, there's just broad, broad leaf greens everywhere. Yeah. Um, that I guess I, I move off those soybeans. And so like that mid to late September, I like to focus on acorns and, and kind of those, um, more or less areas that I think are going to hold big deer. And we can talk about what that means. Um, and then October 1st rolls in and, Deer will really start at that point, making some good rubs, um, start not necessarily pre-rut, but really start kind of shifting gears a little bit more into different food sources, whatever those are. And you're, especially in Wisconsin, you got two weeks of pressure there. So it's going to push a little, push some of those deer around a little bit, um, especially the ones that are close to the parking lots. And then I consider pre-rut to start roughly October 15th or so. Okay. That's when I see, so I run trail cameras on scrapes, um, starting in like August. Um, and I will see bucks if they're not using them in August, like scrapes that are pretty dormant until like the pre-rut timeframe bucks will start poking around those guys around October 15th or so sometimes earlier. I've had some of my best bucks ever roll through on scrapes that are, August 17th or October 17th and 18th. And then they won't come back until November 14th or 15th. Like they'll come check those once and then they'll be on the move. Yeah. Uh, So when you, when you say scrapes, are you, are you talking about, uh, are are these, you know, pawed out? Are they just licking branches at this point? Are that you talking mock scrapes that you're putting up? Uh, Because right now I've got all of my cameras on either Creek crossings or acorns. Um, mm-hmm. I, I decided this year I wasn't going to put anything on a, on a bean field. I was doing a podcast with Tony Peterson and he was like, you, you already know deer like soybeans, right? Like, <laughs> point. Yeah, I, I guess I do. So I sort of pulled them all in and now I'm kind of in that phase where, okay, when do I pull those back into the timber yeah. and start putting them up on some scrape areas, maybe scrapes that I found last year, you know, 
uh, I found a lot of what I would consider sort of primary scrape areas last year with just the areas just littered with scrapes. And so sure. thinking about moving those in there early, should I wait until scrapes start to o- open up on their own or should I shift those a little bit before? How would you play that? Yeah. So one thing real quick on the, uh, let me just silence my phone real quick. Um, so one thing on, on the soybeans, the, the, there's two reasons like I put out trail cameras. One is for inventory and one is for killing. So when you're like my thought process for the soybeans, if you're looking for, are there good bucks in this area? Is there a buck that's, you know, in that 120, 130, 150 class, whatever the hell you're looking for. If you don't even know if they exist, I would go ahead and throw your cameras on a soybean field because even if that, even if that buck is coming out at 1am, you know, he's in the general area. Yep. So at least that gives you an idea. If you're trying to kill a deer, a specific deer, you already know that there's deer coming to those soybeans and, and you're interested in killing them. Then the question becomes, where are they entering and exiting and where are they getting to that field or where can I kill them in daylight? Like where's their movement during shooting legal shooting hours? And that's when I start pushing back onto trails to figure out, okay, are they getting to this point by daylight? No. Okay. I guess I got to go back further. Am I getting, are they getting to this point? No, I guess I got to go back further, you know? And then all of a sudden, you know, you, at some point you're going to end up running into the deer bed. If you keep following that trail back, you're going to run into a thick bedding area where you can just look at it and be like, I'm not interested in walking through that. And the trail goes right into that. So this is probably the bedding area. (laughs) That's a, that's a good way to qualify. That's probably bedding. I'm not interested in walking through that at all. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things I always like to say, there's certain areas I've walked through once and I'm not walking through again. And I just, you just know, like that is where very likely where they're going to be. So you set a camera outside that and see if that's the area. If it's not, you pick the wrong trail and you got to try a different trail. And that is something that can't be, unless you have like 20, 30 cameras, like you can't do that in a single season because by the time you figure that out, it seems like they've already shifted gears and you need to shift gears now too. So that's, that's my thought on the, on the trail camera thing. The other thought for the, uh, scrape stuff is again, it's, it's somewhat of an inventory purpose because I mean, it's not always inventory. You can kill good bucks on scrapes on opening day. It is very feasible. Um, two years ago, I had a camera on a scrape in a real shithole. Like I was, I apologize. Can I swear on the podcast? Yeah. Okay. For it. Yeah. Okay. And it was a real, like I, I walked in there once and I threw a camera up and I was like, I'm not coming back here until mid to late October when, when everything's down, <laughs> it was just bad. And I, and I went and checked that and I had two bucks that were over one of them. I found dead and he scored 165 and the other one I never found, but he was in that 140 class eight point range. He was a giant. Both of them were hitting it, hitting this uh, community scrape during daylight hours, starting early September, all the way through mid-October. And then they quit it. They quit hitting it in mid-October, which was the strangest thing to me is like, that's when you're supposed to be on this scrape. Yeah. That is. Yeah. So, I mean, if I would have like, if I would have been smarter, I would have gone in and checked that thing. 
um, cause I did put it on a, like a, what I call a community scrape and that, and then I would have been able to go in there and potentially kill them. Um, and the, the thing that I messed up on there, um, was I just, I didn't expect, I didn't expect that to happen. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe they kept hitting it because I never went back there. Right. I never went back yeah, there could again. Be. And maybe that's why. I don't know. I never saw, there was never any pictures of any other hunters back there. This is a piece of public. Um, there was never any pictures of anything going on back there. So, um, or any sign of any people. So I'm not sure like if it, what, what the cause for that is, but it's, it's evidently clear. And, and Dan Infault said it on one of, uh, his videos recently as well as like, if you can find a, a scrape that's open and they're using it, you can certainly kill a good buck on opening day on a scrape. Wow. So my thought there is if, if you find there are certain scrapes that are open year round and they're like little meteor holes and there's always a broken branch, there's always a paw print in them. Um, those are called like community scrapes and those tend to be like, I have found and I've compared notes with a buddy of mine those tend to be on like borders of buck territory, hmm. like right on the edge where you'll have a dominant buck to the West and a dominant buck to the East. And you'll have a big scrape that's open year round. And both of them stay on top of that thing and make sure that the other one knows that they're still alive and that they're still there. Hmm. Yeah. You know, don't come over into my territory because I'm, I'm marking this too. Um, so I, I feel like that's what's, that's what's happening. I don't know hundred percent if that's what's happening, but, um, yeah. If you can, if you find like say an ATV trail on a piece of public ground and you have five scrapes that you find along it, um, not super interested in that. Um, especially like if you find them in like the, the late October timeframe, those are likely nocturnal scrapes Sure. or like they're just hitting them at night and they're, they're awesome to find and they're open. Um, but I do know of one that I can tell you right off the bat. That's on a four wheel trail on public ground. Um, that is open pretty much year. It starts. It usually starts around right now, which is early September. Um, I'll go back there and go take a look. I like to go walk the properties, um, just to make sure the DNR didn't do anything new to them sure. over the summer or something like that. I like to go just have a walk around about this time. And, um, and it's, and it was, it, it was very likely that it will be open when I go there this weekend. Wow. Um, but I'm not, I'm also not putting a, <clears throat> putting a camera on that one because I've put it on there for a couple of years. And I, all it is, is little forks and spikes and six points, the, nothing I'm super interested in hunting. So I'd rather push it to a few other areas. I think the, the purpose of putting my cameras on scrapes in the early season. Like I have five cameras on scrapes right now um, is for it's for inventory, but it's also to get an understanding of what time of the year they are moving in a certain area because bucks will go out of their way to hit a scrape. Um, you might have, you know, two, three trails that are coming through. that are going from point A to point B. And if you can get a scrape kind of in an area where they come close, you can get those bucks to come to that scrape and hit that and then go back on their paths otherwise. So if you, instead of having your trail camera on just one trail, now you kind of have an area where they might all congregate and then move on. I'm not saying that works every single time. Um, 
but I've, I've seen it where, you know, you kind of get a little bit of a pinch and you, you know, you make a mock scrape, even on public ground, you break a branch, you, you kick out some dirt, you pee on it and, and you'll start getting a few more bucks coming through that area. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. You start talking about mock scrapes, deer pee, your pee or no pee. So it sounds like it's the homebrewed stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, uh, <laughs> yeah, you will. I am not a, uh, a scent. I'm, I don't do anything with scent killing or anything like that. Like no dead downwind or all that. I used to do it a lot. No scent crusher or ozonics. Um, it just honestly became a burden and, and hunting public ground. Like I'm sweating 15 feet out of my truck. So it doesn't matter anyway to me. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I, I, I haven't, I've never had like a whole lot of success with, with scents and like deer lures and things like that. Um, so I just haven't, I haven't cared to use them. I can't say that they work or they don't work. I just don't. I just, yeah, I just pee in the, I remember reading an article a while back, maybe a year, a few years ago. It was like deer can't tell the difference between a human's piss and a deer's piss after like 30 minutes. So yeah. yeah once it hits the ground, it breaks down so quickly that it's all kind of the same. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. I'll be honest. Like I set up four mock scrapes last weekend on our property and, um, I was drinking a ton of water just to make sure I could pee in all of them. <laughs> and so it was pretty much like clear, clear liquid coming out, probably not even effective at all, but whatever. It makes me feel good about myself. That and I it was cheaper than tinks. <laughs> yes, It was cheaper than tinks. It was yeah. a lot cheaper. Was a I lot. used to be obsessive over all that stuff, man. I would kill myself trying to, trying to, keep myself scent free and taking showers at two o'clock in the morning and yeah. my obsessive about my clothes and buying all the different lures and all that stuff. And man, it, I'll be honest, it just made hunting miserable. Like it just, it just yeah. took all the fun right out of like sucked all the fun out of hunting. I spent all of my time trying to prepare to get into the woods and uh, I use a scent crusher bag now, but that's mostly for me. Like that's cause I, I don't sure. want to smell myself, you know, yeah. anymore. Like oh, yeah. I'd rather not smell my own sweat, you know? <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm just doing myself a favor when it comes to that. Right. So, all right. No, so I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying that that stuff doesn't work at all. So if anybody is out there listening, you're using dead down winter scent crusher or ozonics, like, and you're happy with the results, go for it. Two of my sure. buddies, two of my best friends love ozonics and they swear by them. And I won't, I still won't touch it because I'm not, I don't, I just play the wind, like regardless of what's going on, I just play the wind. And if, and if the deer is in a good enough location that it, the wind's swirling and they're going to pick me up, um, then, then they get the W and I'll find a way to, I'll find a way to outsmart them a different way. Yeah. That's just, that's just how I play it. And, and my one buddy runs Ozonics, um, Parker, He's said that he has been busted, but there's been other times where deer have been straight downwind and, and they don't bust them at all. Um, and then one of my other buddies, he killed a nice seven point last year on public ground, 20 yards straight downwind. And that boy stinks. So mm. I would, um, <laughs> so, I mean, he was like, dude, I, I know I stink and the Ozonics, I think it saved me on this. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's a total toss up. Um, Again, not, not saying they don't work. It's just not something I'm too keen on. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I appreciate all those guys that say, um, you know, I've got some, some evidence from the field that, you know, I, I really like the scent control thing. It works for me. 
I've had a few encounters now though, in, including a couple that I'm thinking of last year where I know the deer could smell me. Like I had, I had one buck uh, that I had two different encounters with. And, uh, on one of the times I know he could smell me and he never even looked my direction, uh, hmm. until I shot at him and missed him. And then he came unglued. <laughs> then, the next time I saw him though, he was, he was coming down this hill right towards me. And, uh, my wind was blowing straight at his face. And it wasn't until he got to about 60 yards that he started acting a little bit funky. Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, he, but I mean, my, my wind was blowing directly where he was coming from. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know, especially with hunting public land. I, I think there are probably just some deer that just assume that smelling some human scent in the area is normal. Yeah, I, I would think so as well. And that, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on real quick on, on the scrape thing, just yeah. jumping back. I just thought, sure, yeah, it, go for it. Is, uh, if, if I were you, um, I would throw at least one or two cameras on scrapes be, and it's not, it wouldn't necessarily be for this, this year, this 2021 season, it would give you data for next year. When do deer start really hitting the scrapes? Cause one of the things I've found is deer are pretty consistent in the time frame that they're hitting a specific scrape. Like if this scrape tends to pull mature deer um, it's usually within a few days of them of every year. Like if like there is, I, I know a couple of scrapes that I have on, on public ground. One of them is almost always October 16th to the 18th. Um, it always opens up. And so I put a camera on there in early October and I've got footage of bucks opening it. Um, cause wow. it's always, it's always in that same time frame. So, um, whether it's at night or during the day is, is up in the air, but, but it's always in that time frame. So I know if I have, um, like a South wind and it's between October 16th and 18th, and I've got pictures of a decent buck in that area, I can go hunt that. And, and I'm going to feel confident that, um, that I might have, that I'll have a sighting. So, um, and catching them opening it. Um, it's actually, it's, it's pretty cool to get on camera. Cause it's just, you know, it's, I have, I run my cameras on scrapes on video. So they come in and they just, you know, clean up the whole area. So that, that would be for, for future years. So, you know, when to go in there, cause some of them don't, don't really hold mature deer until the end of October. I only get mature deer on them in late October. And, and some of them are early, no early October. And that'll really help you kind of pinpoint where you want to spend your time. Sure. Sure. I, I did that a little bit last year and I actually had, I had one scrape where, uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, mature buck activity or, or even, even decent buck activity until, um, gosh, I guess it was close to a week before Halloween. Okay. And then I had like a four or five day section where mm -hmm. there was one or two nice bucks hitting it every day, right? At, like right before closing time. I mean, 10 minutes, 15 minutes before closing time. And then the thing went dead. I mean, just absolutely yeah. dead. And another scrape line opened up. I ended up hunting that, had a couple of good encounters on that that was probably a hundred yards to the North of there, but, but yeah. yeah, there was just like this little window of time. Do you see that a lot with like, yeah. just a, you don't, you got a couple of days and that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, there's a mock scrape I put up last year. Um, it was in a great travel corridor. Um, I set it up in early September and nothing touched it until like October 5th. And then I just had like little spikes and forks touching it. And then October, 24th to the 28th 
last okay. year. It yeah. coincided with a cold front that that uh, that year last year it coincided with a cold front and a good moon phase, which I'm not a big moon phase guy, but one of my buddies has me thinking about it. Um, but it, it coincided with a cold front and a good moon phase plus like pre rut is going really strong. And for those, the 24th to the 28th every day, wow. every day, there was a good buck on it in daylight. And so this year, um, I will be, I'm not, I'm not hunting that scrape because for whatever reason, that area, I set up a beautiful tree stand. Like you would look at this setup and be like, Oh my God, how many deer do you kill out of this big Oak tree? big tree stand comfortable super like great entry and exit route nothing wrong with it and it's set up for a northwest wind so beautiful for a cold front and when it is blowing northwest right there uh like on a normal day when in that stand it's coming out of the south really yeah it is always something to do with just the terrain and how it yep it just swirls around so and even when i hunt it coming out when the wind's coming out of the south the wind's still coming out of the south it wow. is always like, it's like always coming out of the South on that scrape. So I just couldn't even, and I can't hunt it on the North side of it. Um, because that's like typically where they're kind of coming from. Okay. So I had to like, I left the scrape up and I created a new one this year, last weekend, about, uh, maybe 80 yards away. And there's a stand close to that one that when there is a West wind, it is a perfect West wind. And then and I hunted it last year just to make sure I wasn't going to make that same mistake <laughs> twice. Um, when it, there's West wind, it's a solid West wind and it, and it blows my scent right over this like kind of cliff. So I got nothing to worry about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was that four days. Yeah. I mean, you will find that scrapes tend to be very popular for a short window of time, typically less than a week. And then you probably won't ever see those deer again until that same week next year. Okay. And we're talking not just deer in general, we're talk, talking like 130 inch deer or greater, like for whatever reason, they like certain areas and certain time frames, and then they're, they're gone and wow. they're going somewhere else. Man. So, all right. So let's, yeah. uh, let's shift a little bit. We're going to talk, <clears throat> talk an early season. Uh, like I said, early season is kind of a mystery to me here. I'm from, uh, hunting in Louisiana, Alabama, yeah. We don't have ag fields to compete with. Uh, <laughs> our acorns are totally different. Like they fall at different times. Um, yeah, we're, ju we're just dealing with a totally different situation. Sure. And I thought that moving to the Midwest meant I was going to get to hunt big, lush, green bean fields. And it was going to be great. And I thought that the corn fields were going to be awesome. The deer were going to love them. They were going to go nuts. And it was just going to be an awesome time. And I quickly found out last year that uh, the acorns, uh, at least where I was hunting last year, fall really early. Uh, and so they were basically gone by opening day. The yep. bean fields were yellow, uh, pretty much by opening mm -hmm. day. And, uh, the corn, uh, is more of an enemy than it is my friend, uh, until it's yeah. finally combined. And so, uh, where do you start? So I, I need you to school me on this, right? Like, so yeah. you're going to put together an early season plan. And, and I, I pulled up my property, uh, that I'm hunting that will forever remain nameless, uh, if, you, <laughs> if, if somebody listening happens yeah. to find out, uh, let me know that, you know, what it's, where it's at and, uh, we need to talk, but anyway, um, so, uh, where would you start with this, either this property or just in general, where do you start putting together yeah. an early season plan? So an early season plan for me 
starts starts in February and March and April. Um, I like I know I know we're in the we're in the early season right now, and so people can't do that. But when this season is done, to anybody listening here, and you're having a hard time early season or even just in general, get your butt in the woods in February, March, and April, and you will find more sign and you will learn more information in a five-hour walk on a piece of ground um, in that time frame than you will any other time of the year because there is just everything is clearly visible. The trails are 100% obvious. The bedding areas are obvious. The scrapes are obvious. Where these deer, like especially with snow, you can see which direction they're headed and you can see for miles. Um, So if you jump deer, you can easily see them. Um, and you can go, okay, that's a bedding area, right? So you can plan all that out in, and my thing for, for early season is I'm looking for, I'm looking for oaks. Um, I, I still am. Um, there is a ton of browse. There's a ton of green broadleafs and, and just anything like deer can pretty much eat anything in the early season. And that's the hard part is that there's so much food. There's really not a lot, a lot of limitation. Um, So the thing that I will look most for is I will start at, at a destination food source, um, pretty much an ag field. If I think the deer are heading that direction. Um, and that's typically in the early season, um, soybeans or corn, um, and is corn factoring into your thinking early season. Cause I've talked to some other guys and they're like, well, I, I kind of just ignore the corn basically. Um, is is that. Yeah. Um, typically, yes. Typically I would totally ignore it this year because it's been so dry. I feel like the corn is, is an option this year. It went on really dry years. I'm not saying put, you know, bet the house on it at all, but I'm also saying don't discount it. Like if, if corn is all you have, like in, in the area, um, don't, don't be like, well, I got nothing. I'm not going to hunt early season because deer can certainly still digest that. They can go eat that. Um, but I, I, I do think that oaks are going to be your number one bet, even if they've already dropped and they're still, they're just on the ground. Oaks are going to be where you want to go, especially if you're hunting a marshy area, like, like the area that you're hunting plus, or the area that I'm hunting, um, or you're hunting even the hill country, you have oaks out there and up North you have oaks, um, especially in the pine flats. You're going to find, if you can find oaks, like that's the only food for potentially miles. So deer will, deer will congregate to that. And I, I think that the thing to really focus on, um, is look for the food, but the sign is just as important. Like you need to have tracks there, right? You, you need to have fresh poop. You need to have tracks. You need to have trails that are utilized. So going out and scouting a day or two after a rain, especially like right now with how dry it's been, if you can get a, a decent rain for a day or two um, and get out there and then go, go look around quick, that can really help if you're not interested in trail cameras. And I know like trail cameras on public land are tough because they can get stolen. Right. Um, and, and even if you lock them up, people can break them, whatever. So I, if you're not willing to do that, you need to put boots on the ground and, and spend some time. So where I start is, you know, I haven't, I have no idea how this property lays out the property that I'm looking at that, that you're hunting. It's a lot of marsh, but it's a lot of trees. 
Um, there are now like really isolated points. Um, I don't know where the pressure comes from. I don't know a lot about your, your piece. So I need to spend some time looking at this. Um, what I would do though, is I do think that deer don't want to live in the worst part of the marsh unless they have to. Mm-hmm. So as pressure picks up, deer will push deeper and deeper into a property or deeper and deeper into a marsh or leave that property in the early season when deer have not been pressured for the last six, seven, eight months, they're much more likely to be closer to the parking lot. That is, that's a, that's a theory that I have. I have done the two mile hikes into the swamp through mosquitoes and 80 degree temps with waders and all that. And I have had more success hunting within a half mile of the parking lot than I have going deep in the early season. And even my cameras um, have shown me that on certain parcels. I'm not saying that that's the the biggest thing that that I'd like to tell anybody that's listening to this is I'm not 100% correct on on anything. There is always an exception. (laughs) And every podcast you listen to, people typically talk, um, whether they say it or not, in generalities. So to, to your point earlier about like me saying, don't only hunt the cold fronts, right? Don't only hunt good weather. I just had a guy on my podcast the other day. Um, they had hunted a piece for five days. And on the fourth day, it was the hottest, the worst day. And they wanted to, they, it was, but it was the right wind. So they wanted to go hunt the best spot. And they'd had pictures of deer there the previous nights. And they ended up shooting a tanker 12 point. Like wow. and it was the worst, the worst day in weather wise by far on the whole forecast. So like, I'm not, I, a lot of this stuff is generalities. So, but anyway, I would start with areas that are closer to like, if you can find Oaks or you can find a food source that is a little bit easier to walk to and you can go scout it. I mean, on this piece that I'm looking at of yours, it looks like it's a few, probably seven, eight, 900 acres, something like that. I don't know. Let me click on it here. Um, it, it's got, it's a lot of land. Um, let's see here. It is, yeah, a thousand, 1100 acres. So you can, you can have a ton of spots on here. There's a lot of ground to cover. And I would think that you'd want to start, take your parking lot, go find some oaks that are close to the parking lot and go take a peek at them, see if there's any sign there. Um, and the other thing you're going to need to keep in mind is pressure. So the, the first thing is, is have a lot of spots to go check and go check those areas and see if there's tracks and see if there's sign, um, see if the acorns are even there because acorns are a mass crop and they don't produce every year. So you might have a grove of, of oaks that are awesome one year and terrible the next, cause they don't produce at all. And the deer will totally shift direction because they, they know whether they're there or not. Um, you might have some neighboring hunting ground that like, sometimes you can find like on Onyx. I know a few of the pieces that I hunt have neighboring that are called like buck brothers or deer heaven or something like that. LLC, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, they probably have food plots. So I'm going to go hunt close to that. And it's worked out in like seeing deer and, and getting close. <laughs> um, so like keep, keep that in mind as well. So the neighboring properties are just as important as the property that you're hunting, if not more important, because a lot of the, 
you might not have any ag field on the public that you have access to. So you can't go hunt the field edge and I wouldn't recommend it on public ground anyway, because deer are generally just smarter than that. Um, but I would take a look around, you know, take a big drive around, see who's got the soybeans, see who's got the corn, um, you know, do some glad, maybe do some glassing, like some late evening, you know, drive arounds. Um, before season starts, you know, I think it gets dark at seven thirty, eight o'clock. So get in your vehicle around six 45, seven, and just go for a drive, see if you see anything out there. And if you, if you do obviously pinpoint and then backtrack and try to figure out how you can get there to that area or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'd, I would start with, with the Oaks and if, if you don't have Oaks, um, cause that's, that's the other question is, you're going to need to, there's a, there's so many variables to go on. Sure. Let, let me, um, I'll tell you a little bit about that property that you're looking at. So um, there are a few red oaks on the property um, that were, that last year were still dropping after opening day. The rest of the oak trees that I found on that property are bur oaks and they drop real, real early, like early August, August 10th, August 15th. They're just, okay. they're just raining. And by last year, they were, they were done dropping this year. A lot of the areas that were dropping last year, aren't, aren't dropping at all. There's, there are no acorns there, okay. um, but, but there are some closer to the water that you're going to see there that have some red oaks around it. And gotcha. uh, that's where I've, I found some acorns last year that were dropping right at opening day. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing, I mean, especially with a marsh, like with how good satellite imagery is now, you can just zoom in and look at the trails. Yeah. You know, yep. that's another, like, if you're not doing that, like you are certainly missing out. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. And those, those oaks are important. Um, yeah. I, I do so much scouting in the, in the real early time of the year. It's, it's tough for me to take a look at this. Cause if, if I just came into this totally blind, I would just walk back and look for tracks, look for sign. Um, I might not even hunt it until early October because hunting, hunting in the super early season, totally blind is, it's really difficult. Like you're just kind of out there, like maybe doing some observation sits, get up somewhere where you can see a long ways and hopefully you can, you can catch some movement somewhere. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I like to focus on little woodlots, little points, um, areas that can be, that can be bedding areas that are not necessarily right in the direction of everyone else and their brother who's hunting. Uh, I think that's imp really important for, um, early season is before I even get in the tree and, and park my vehicle, I actually take a drive, um, and I will check most of the parking lots to see how many cars are already there. Um, and if they have cars, I just don't even pull in. I just look, I just keep moving. Um, cause I, again, I have the 6,000 acres, so I can always find a spot. Sure. Um, and that a lot of times that'll dictate where I go. Um, I, what I do is I set up, I have probably like 30 pins that are tree stands for South winds, um, in the early season. And I will just kind of go through and just check all those, not all of them, but I'll, I'll have an idea of which one I want to hunt. I haven't quite put that plan together. It is September 8th today and tomorrow we'll get the forecast, the 10 day forecast for opening day. 
So based on that forecast, I would then go, okay, is it going to be a south wind, a north wind? Is it high temps? Is it low temps? What am I looking at here? And then I'll start picking those pins apart and trying to figure out which one I want to hunt. And some of them are based on just little tiny woodlots that are on the edge of a marsh. Hmm. Um, and that just provides enough high ground for them to get out of it. And uh, it essentially goes marsh, a little bit of high ground, and then egg fields. So they got to be in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, and they like, they typically like that high ground. And that's, um, this is a totally different conversation that we can cover some other time, maybe, maybe in the spring, but that's just like picking a piece of public ground. How do you even know which, like a lot of times people pick a piece of ground to hunt based on proximity to their house, but you know, is it, can you get more opportunity if you drove another 20 minutes sure. with less pressure? Yep. Um, and can you pick apart the property easier? So are there, are there hard, hard contrasts in, in marsh versus tree lines and pockets of woods and egg fields and points and, you know, all that stuff. Can, can you find a property that's easier to hunt? Mm. Um, if you drive a little bit further, uh, that's always, that's always a great question. And that's something that a lot of people, um, not, not necessarily don't do, but it's something that doesn't cross their mind until they've tried a spot for two, three years and they haven't figured it out. And then they're like, well, let's go try this other spot. And then they realize like, wow, this is so much easier to hunt or whatever because of the way it lays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? I, I heard Dan Infault talking about uh, guys who kind of get married to a, to a piece of public, you know, and that's just their thing. And they don't, they don't think outside of that. Oftentimes, you know, they sort of locked down on this one piece mm -hmm. and that's that they're going to live and die by, by what they can find yeah. there. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times um, doing sort of boots on the ground scouting this time of year, early season. What does that look like for you? Because I, I, there's this tension, right? Like I want to both know what's going on in the woods, but I don't want to disrupt <laughs> what could be the least yeah. disrupted buck at, at any point of the year, right? Like yeah. the pressure is just going to get higher and higher and higher as we get closer to the rut. So uh, there's there's always that tension. What is that early season scouting look like for you? Um, maybe even on some of the properties that you're sort of moderately familiar with, like, so this one that you're looking at, that's my, that's the property where I hunt. One of the properties where I hunt, uh, I I'm not going in necessarily blind on this piece, but there are some spots that I would like to swing through and check. Um, now I do a lot of mobile hunting. Uh, I know you hunt out of a saddle as well. Um, mm -hmm. so those are great for being able to sort of go in all your stuff's on your back and you're, you know, you're going in ready to hunt. Um, but I also sort of hate to burn through spots and I also hate to throw wasted sits, uh, at areas that sure. won't produce. So what does that look like for you this time of year? Yeah. The boots on the ground stuff, like that's something a lot of people have hard, a hard time dealing with. And I don't, I don't pretend to know everybody's situation. Um, cause a lot of it is, is situational. You know, if you're hunting a piece of public, that's 30 acres. Um, you're going to have to be real careful that you don't bump, bump deer out of there, you know? Um, and you're going to have to hope to God that no one else does. If you're hunting a piece of private, that's a small chunk. Like you got to be really careful. Like I would certainly invest in cell cameras, um, at, at that point, because you gotta, if you bump deer out of there, when you're trying to scout, like you, you could certainly lose them to the neighbors, um, pretty quickly. 
uh, if you're hunting bigger tracks where you have a lot of options, you can be more free with your movements and a and little bit more carefree. That's one of the reasons why I really enjoy public ground is because I'm, I am that, that jerk that just goes and walks around at some <laughs> points. <laughs> I try to keep the wind yeah. in my favor and, and I do it strategically, but at the same time, like you will find me just meandering around on November 4th, some days because where I'm at or what I'm seeing is not good. So I want to go check this thing out. And especially during the rut, anything can happen at any time. Yep. So as long as I keep the wind in my favor, um, I, I might be, I might be better off moving. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a tactic that not a lot of people use, but you can certainly be productive with it. Um, so in terms of like scouting in the early season, getting boots on the ground and going after and not being disruptive, you want to go to, it's, it's unlikely that a buck is going to bed at the base of an oak tree. Um, he's probably bucks do typically in the early season, they don't move very far. Like you're talking anywhere from 50 yards to 300 yards, 300 yards would probably be a long, longer distance for a buck in the early season. Um, talking daylight movement. I'm talking just movement in general. Movement in general. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Day, certainly, certainly daylight movement, man, very likely under a hundred yards. Okay. Um, unless they're being pushed around by something else or they literally have like no pressure and they're not afraid of anything, then they can, then they'll go do whatever they feel like. But on a, on a piece of public ground, like I would think that you need to be certainly within 150 yards, um, of a buck to kill him from his bedding area in the early season, like before October 10th, maybe even before October 5th. Um, I did kill a pretty nice eight point. Um, a few years ago, October 5th, and I probably was within, I set up definitely within 50 yards of him. Okay. Um, I heard him out of nowhere. I was in the stand for five minutes and I killed him. It was ridiculous. Wild hunt. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, he was, he was in a thick cover. I wanted to hunt a community communal scrape that I knew would, would, was getting hit in the early season. Um, I got there. It didn't look that good. So I kind of lost confidence. I couldn't find a good tree to get set up in. So I lost a little bit more confidence. And so I kind of made this big J hook around this like thick cover area, ended up getting set up on this, on this, uh, small tree, maybe like eight feet up off the ground in between, uh, two creeks, um, that one that were perpendicular to each other. So there was just a little bit of high ground that crossed between the two creeks. He stood up from that thick cover about 50 yards off to my right, walked right out in front of him. I shot him at 20 yards and he died at 35 yards. It was ridiculous. I, I don't even, couldn't even tell you like how amazing and wild that was. Cause I just literally turned on my camera. I was doing my interview and I was like, Oh my God, I think I hear a deer <laughs> flip it around. And there he is. <laughs> wow. Um, but, uh, but to, to get back to the tactics thing is, like you want to go check those, those areas without getting into the bedding areas. And you wanted, wanted to go check like below some Oak trees. You want to go check like more open areas. You're not looking for the super dense, thick cover. Um, when you've got boots on the ground, cause that, that can be where they're bedding. So you're looking for, you know, if you ever get up on a, 
like an oak flat or some little bit of high ground or an area that has a lot more mature trees and there's not a lot of underbrush, deer don't typically bed in that. If it's open, if it's wide open, they're typically not in there. Or if they are, they're younger deer um, because that is not the security cover that older deer like. Like sure. They want to be tucked in where they can hear anything that comes, you know, within 30 yards of them. And they have multiple escape routes to get out of there. So if you're in areas that are more open, so open, open oak areas or more mature tree areas or, or big grassy areas or anything like that in the early season, you're likely not going to invade that, that buck's bedding area. And in that area, you can find tracks and you can find rubs. Um, I mean, especially once they drop velvet, they'll typically start rubbing in late September, maybe even mid September, you're going to find a few rubs right away. So you can, you can get that sign right away. Um, that way without getting into those bedding areas, those bedding areas are personally that for me, they're things that you need to walk through either during the rut when you're just out putzing around, um, or in, you, you know, in the springtime, otherwise sure, I, I'm not, I'm not venturing into them in the early season. So if you, if you have like, I think you have like a two to three week, probably a three week buffer. Um, we're, we're within that window now. So you got 10 days until season starts. So I wouldn't go do that until you're ready to hunt. At that point, you're doing a, a scout hanging hunt. Yep. Now it gets dark at eight o'clock, get in there at, I don't know, three, get out in the woods by three 45, four o'clock and kind of meander around and, and be, be up in a tree by six, right? Sure that sense. would, so you have the last two hours of light to hunt. Um, that would kind of be my strategy because then at least you're getting the first sit with the first time being in there, right? You're not, because if you go in there now and you go back 10 days later and you go fart around in there a little bit too much, he might, he might be like, ah, I smelt a human. It wasn't, wasn't quite right. I, I'm not super interested in being in this area anymore. I might, you know, meander on down, you know, I don't know, a quarter mile or whatever. Yeah. And when you do, when you do that scouting, if you have like based on aerial maps and topo maps, you can find, you can do all right at, at guessing bedding areas, not necessarily a hundred percent like buck beds, but you can do pretty, pretty decent at guessing bedding areas. So like if you're going to go check an area and you're going from East to West and don't go in there with an east wind, right? Where the wind is blowing from your back straight out. Like you want to go with that wind in your face because then if you do end up getting close to them, at least they don't smell you, right? They might hear you. They might, you know, they might catch a glimpse of you through some brush or something like that, but at least they don't smell you because the smell will tip you off immediately. Um, another thing I do for better or worse is a lot of times I'll take my dog so my dog will run out in front of me 20, 30 yards and he's a hound and he'll bark at deer. So I'm, I'm much more okay with him barking at deer than a deer smelling me or seeing me as a human. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I'm not saying that's a good or bad. I just, it's what I do. And I think it works for me because now the deer are running from a a stray dog or a coyote, which is something that they do all the time anyway. Yep. Yeah. So rather than associating that with human pressure. Right. And now, and now my dog's blowing them out and not me. 
And if there's other people that are on this property or other pieces of public that are just dog walkers, well, that might just be like a weekly occurrence, you know, and the deer are used to that. Yeah. Whereas, you know, somebody coming in and, and kneeling down and spending, you know, 10, 15 minutes in my food dish of my acorns, (laughs) that might be a little bit different. Like, all right, that's, that's going to trigger me to, to think about that a little bit more. Yeah. So, so wrapping it up with, with that part, um, boots on the ground scouting, we're jumping in, but we're not necessarily crashing through sort of the, the, the most intrusive stuff. So you're kind of playing it safe just a little bit. Rather yeah. You than... want to start on the outside and work your way in. Okay. Right? Yep. And, and if, if you find the sign that you're looking for, if you find the rubs, you find the tracks, you find the poop that you're looking for, you don't, you don't necessarily need to go that much further. Like, yeah. you know, you know, he's there now take a look at, uh, take a look at your aerial, take a look at your topo, take a guess. He's probably, I mean, if it's on a food source, he's probably within 150 or 200 yards of you right now. Where do you think he could be hmm. and start and start guessing on that? You know, and if you have a camera set a camera, if you have, um, if you can hunt that right away, hunt it right away and see if he comes in, if he doesn't, and you hunt it on a Friday night. Now you got Saturday night, same weather conditions, move a little bit more, move 50 yards further in, move 60 yards further in. Um, the, if, if that's something that you're interested in, in hunting like specific bucks like that, um, there's a lot of different tactics you can use. Uh, sometimes you, sometimes you want to just find the dumbest buck right. That is <laughs> those are the ones I'm after. Yeah. I want yeah. the dumb ones. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, and, and that is, that is certainly a strategy I've, I've used is just like, all right, if this buck's like not playing game and and he's only showing up a half hour to an hour after light and I'm not catching him in daylight, I'm moving on. And that's, that's one of the things is there's enough public land in, in Wisconsin, certainly that you should be able to move property to property and property and have enough spots. If you put in some time um, to be able to move around and not put all your eggs in one basket. I feel like a lot of people do that. Um, and that leads you to being stuck on specific deer. And if, and if the pressure blows up one year, the pressure sucks or the food isn't planted right, or the DNR comes in and messes something up, like you got to start from square one all the way over again. You know, I hunted, I hunted the Wisconsin river, um, corridor, it's a ton of public land. It's, you know, tens of thousands of acres. And that stuff was really hard to hunt. Um, and people were totally different. People were in there, duck hunters, squirrel hunters, dove hunters, um, fishermen, campers, like, and it just became like too much for me to try to comprehend all of it. Mm. And the deer were pretty intelligent and I wasn't getting a whole lot of daylight activity. I just crossed it off the list and moved on to another property. Yeah. Yeah. Take no chances elsewhere. Yeah. So, so you, you're, you're talking a bit about, about finding the sign that's there, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you're, when you do these boots on the ground, I'm, I'm curious to hear how you weigh the sign early season, right? Like I'm thinking I walk into a spot in November, there's a bunch of rubs, a couple of scrapes. Mm. I'm, I may get a little excited, but I may go on and look for more early season though. I may weigh things a little bit differently. So mm-hmm. you've mentioned tracks, you mentioned rubs, you mentioned scrapes in the early season. How are you weighing these things in priority and sort of what's the concentration that you're looking for? Sure. Um, old rubs, 
old rubs i don't put a whole lot of stock in okay um fresh rubs i will i will put some stock in them um and they got to be decent height not necessarily the width of the tree but decent height um is what i'm looking for on the rubs so like if you have a rub that's you know if you think about it the the bigger the deer the taller they are Mm -hmm. so the higher up that rub is the bigger the deer is okay um so like you can find i'm six foot if you can find a rub that's like at my waist that's a tall deer right if you're finding rubs that are at your shin level it's probably you know a youngster on a you know on a two inch tree because big deer will rub small trees big deer will rub big trees little deer will rub small trees and and i've seen little deer poke around on big trees too you know six inch diameter cedars and a fork sitting there trying to mess with it um you know and people would typically look at that and be like oh that's a giant and i'm just like well i have video footage right here of it being a little fork so probably not (laughs) um and it could be a big giant at some other point you know maybe a big giant rubbed it you know before and this guy's just coming in to mess around whatever uh but i i do in the early season i like rubs um rubs are good fresh rubs because that tells you that they have dropped their velvet and they're interested in marking their territory and they are in that area because they don't move very far so fresh rubs are good um from that standpoint later in the season like october 10th and later don't even care about them like they're cool i'll take photos of them that's it they don't tell me a whole lot at at that point anyway okay um at that that point i'm looking for for scrapes more i would scrapes are important um if they're open so if they're not open um i'm not super interested in them early season if they do have some prints some tracks in them um i found one year i found some doe piss in one like that's important um and I'll, I'll take note of it i might not hunt right over it or something like that but i'll take note that that it is there and it's active um what was uh tracks tracks are probably the most important okay Tra- yeah those are probably the most important because that that's proof that that is a big deer um or a small deer and he is in that area again they don't move very far so i think the tracks tracks are the most important um because i mean they'll tell you where he's coming from and where he's going to and there will be more of those than there will rubs so you can kind of get a better idea as to what's going on and you'll yeah get um i like rubs on trails I don't like rubs on like field edges or big open areas because they don't give you enough, enough information. But if you're walking down what looks to be like a good deer trail and you're not, you know, it's been really dry, there's no tracks or anything. And you find a rub on that trail in early season, that's a good sign. Okay. Um, and vice versa, if you don't find a rub, but you do find a track like that, that's obviously a good sign too. And then poop, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in poop because there was a, a biological article I read biological, like a, it was done by scientists and research that kind of say like, like, uh, poop doesn't like a doe can shit far larger than a buck. It <laughs> just depends on their diet. <laughs> like it depends on their diet and their sure. digestion. So even if you find yeah. a giant pile of poop, it doesn't mean that that's a giant deer. It could just be a doe that was backed up for a couple of days and then you know, blew out. Have you ever seen a baby poop? Jeez. They, they that's a good point. That's a solid, that's a solid point on the baby. We've got three kids. So it's like, yeah, 
I get it. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't put, I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in the poop either. It's rubs and tracks. Okay. So in early season, let, let's pretend I've done my homework, right? So let's say, uh, I've located some bedding last year. Um, and let's say I'm reasonably sure this year that there are, uh, some deer using this bedding still. Uh, in fact, I've, I've got one particular spot in mind that, uh, seems to be year round bedding. Um, seems like the deer bedding there in the spring and mm-hmm. the winter and the fall. And even right now that there are deer bedding in there, um, given what my, my trail cameras are seeing, how aggressive are you getting early in the season? Like if you're pretty sure that the deer are using that bedding right now, like, are you moving in for the kill right away? Or are you still going to kind of slow play it a little bit uh, as you work your way in and start finding sign? Um, that's a great question. I think it depends on, on your scenario. So the, so this is not like proven research or anything, but my theory on bedding areas is there are seasonal and annual bedding areas. So seasonal bedding areas are like when you're walking down a field edge in early season and all of a sudden you find a bed right on the edge of the field or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Like that's like a, a temporary thing that that deer might only use over the summer. And there's, there's certainly bedding areas in like CRP fields and stuff. Like you'll walk out there and it'll look like, uh, what do they call those UFO things and crop fields, crop circles, where all yep. of a sudden there's just like eight beds. Like those are, those are just temporary because they're not bedding there in the middle of dead of winter. Right. They, sure. But you are going to find when you scout and, and put some time in, you're going to find really thick areas that are really thick in the winter still in those areas have, you know, the circles in the snow and you find the beds and those are core bedding areas that deer will return to and live in year over year, over year, over year, you know, a buck might, he, he might, he, he, he'll have anywhere. It could be anywhere from one to 10, 15 core bedding areas, but then he could have another 50 satellite beds. You know, he, and vice versa, he could have one core bedding area and two satellite beds. Hmm. It just depends on, on the pressure and where they're at and everything. But I feel like those core bedding areas, if you can find them, those are, those are money. And you need to like, not never tell a single soul about them. Even your best friend when they come and hunt with you, because <laughs> though, like those yeah. can be blown out pretty quickly. Um, and, and they can be, you know, lost. So if you find that, like you're saying, um, and I know I'm generally the only person like looking at that area, if I can, if I can take a look at the sign and okay, there's no trash from humans. There's no other boot prints. There's not any other trails. This is a little bit further off the beaten path. I don't think I've never seen anyone back in here. Trail camera shows. There's no one really back in here. I'm going to sit on that a little bit um, and wait for my trail camera to tell me that there's a good buck. And the only time I'm checking that trail camera is when I'm going to hunt it. Okay. So, and by like, those are two contradictory statements, but what I mean by that is essentially if, if I want to go check that trail camera, I'm waiting for a good day to hunt that area. And I'm going to check it and hunt that area at the same time based on wind and, and weather conditions so that I'm not wasting the opportunity. I guess. Cause if you just go in and check it and get out and now all of a sudden they smelt you, 
then you're wasting the opportunity. If you go check it and sit it and you can, and you don't know that there's a good deer there, but maybe you sit there and you don't see anything and you're like, Oh man, I thought this was a phenomenal spot. What the heck's going on? And you look at your trail camera and you find out that, Oh no, the buck was in there. He was just in there yesterday and I just missed him. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go back out, you know, and you're going to wait for another good, good weather day. And you're going to go back in. Um, but also vice versa, if you know that there's people that are going to hunt that or getting close to that, like, you know, I found a good area and one year, all of a sudden there was a ladder stand right there. You know, it's hundred percent illegal on public ground in Wisconsin, but there was, there's a ladder stand there and it's been there for, you know, at least a few days for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, it wasn't there. Yeah. When I went in there, <laughs> it was not there in the morning and it was there in the afternoon and there was definitely there like three days later when I went back in. Oh, so, wow. okay. um, definitely like, I mean, he just left it up and it was a long ways back. Like I, I, I had to just tip my hat to the guy for even carrying the thing back. Like, dude, just, <laughs> he earned it. He yeah. Earned it. He, earned, he earned that one for sure. Um, but, uh, but once he did that, it's like, okay, next year I know like I'm hunting this thing like right away. And then I'm just going to, I'm going to consider it burned and move on. Um, so yeah, if you, if you know, other people are going to find that area, I would get after it pretty quick. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the spot that I have in mind is, is, um, not necessarily off the beaten path, but I've never seen another person in there and I've never gotten a picture awesome. of, a, of a person in there. So that's great. Yeah. So yeah, I would, I would, I, I would, would just then at that point, you know, um, so the reason people hunt cold fronts in the early season, why they want to, why, why you'll hear people say, wait for a cold front, wait for a Northwest wind, um, and the temp to drop from, you know, 75 to 65 or something like that is because those temp changes and pressure changes, um, typically bring in weather, which typically get deer up on their feet earlier in the day. So if they're only, if you get, for example, if you're getting pictures of deer at, 7:30 consistently, you know, when it gets dark at eight and you get a cold front rolling through and all of a sudden you're getting pictures of deer at 6:30. Well, you can correlate the two together and say, okay, well, a cold front works. And some, some deer are like that. Some deer are not other deer. Like, I mean, it still gets, they were still out there at 7:30 even on a South wind. So I might want to hunt it on a South wind. It's just, you know, if they show up 15, 20 minutes later, I can't get the shot. Yep. Right. So, so I'm, I'm kind of SOL. Um, so, I, you know, if, um, if that's the case and you got no one coming in there, you might want to wait for that, for those premium conditions to go try that out. And until then a South wind is pretty typical in the early season. Um, find out some, go, go test some spots, go do some observation sits, use your time to, to hunt scout, you know, Um, when you get out there, don't just, don't go dive into a deep hole where you can only see 20 yards and you don't see anything. And you walk away with pretty much like no data or no information to to build off of next time you, you, you have enough data that says nothing moves in this, you know, 20 yard radius. (laughs) Um, but you don't, you don't have the same amount to sit on the edge of this marsh and go, okay, I could see, you know, for 500 yards and, you know, to my East and West. And I did see some deer off to my West. So now I'm going to, obviously they're over that way. I'm going to move over there next time. Um, 
those, those observation sets, I don't do enough of them, but they are every time I do them, I, I thank myself that I did because they're super handy for, for gathering information for future hunts. Sure. Well, that, that ties in well, sort of the next thing I was going to talk about. So, uh, timeline wise, I've, I've done my homework. I've found the bedding area in the off season. I have located some food nearby. I sort of know the direction of travel. Uh, now it's time to move in and, and hunt this spot. And maybe I don't see the buck on the first time in. So I press in a little further. Maybe I don't see him on the second time in. So I press in a little bit further. How long have you seen, uh, specifically speaking, uh, maybe on public land, right? Cause those are typically the areas that are large enough that we can have that kind of play with. Mm-hmm. how long until you're going to count that spot burned. And I have one specific idea in mind. So last year uh, I pressed in on a spot uh, three different times, each time going a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. And uh, finally I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to sit back and do an observation set where I can still see that area, but then I can see a, a broader area as well, just to kind of see, okay, yeah. what, what is going on? Because I haven't, I haven't gotten a shot pressing in there. Uh, and I'd actually, I'd actually seen a buck the first time in, and then I didn't see him the next two times. And so I thought spots done. I need to back off on that fourth time doing the observation set. Well, wouldn't you know, he not only comes through that spot, but he comes on out into the, the, the ag field there and, and feeds around for a little bit and uh. then saunters off. And that was the last I ever saw of that deer. Uh, so I thought <laughs> I, I hadn't burned it yet, but I assumed that I did. Because I had seen them the first night and then two more nights without Mm -hmm. seeing them. So how quickly are you thinking that it's burned and how, how, how long are you going to give a spot a chance? Oh man, that's a, that's a really tough question. Do you know, like, um, do you know if the weather changed at all during those four days or four sits? It, it, were they all four sits, like one after the other from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they weren't that close together. Um, but I did have a camera in the area and I didn't catch him coming through there. Uh, but they were, they were close enough together that I was confident. I was still hunting. I could still hunt the same pattern. If that makes sense. I I, I thought the deer would be coming from the same direction, heading to the same place. Uh, so I would say it's probably maybe within eight days or so. Okay. And then, uh, were the weather conditions pretty much the same? Yeah. It was a little cooler and overcast. Um, the last evening when I saw him, but then the first time I'd gone in, it wasn't very cool at all. Um, and it was just sort of a bluebird day, you know, clear sky, sunny and all of that. But the, and then the last, the next two times were kind of similar. And then the final time was sort of a gray overcast day and just a little bit cooler, like not certainly not cold outside by any, any stretch, but just a little cooler. Yeah. Um, I can't, I mean, obviously I can't read the deer's mind and, and f- answer that. I, I just was curious as to the conditions there. Cause that can sometimes really help you put the pieces to the puzzle. Um, I, I don't know some, I, every deer is different. Like that's something to really keep in mind is personalities you and I have a different personality. Um, me and the next guy have a different personality. Deer have the same thing. They have, they have their own personalities and some of them might visit like that egg field, he might only visit that once a week. Yeah, Like yeah. just, that's just his personality and that's what he does. And maybe he goes around your camera that I, I don't like, it's hard to put a lot of stock in camera when they can only see 180 degrees and, or less than that. And they can only 
shoot out 10 yards and, and they will fault. They can mm-hmm. have faults too yep. um, and not take photos. So it's, it's hard because he could walk behind that camera and you'd never even know. Yep. Um, so it's, it, it's a tough situation to, to, to call, but I personally, um, I have two, I have too many spots to hunt, which is something a lot of people don't have the ability to say, but it's all public (laughs) ground. So I'm not like, I just have so many spots outlined that I will sit a spot once or twice. If I don't see anything, I move on, Mm -hmm. um, in that, in those, uh, like by the second time I move on, unless I know, like it's a good area. Like during the rut, I will sit the same spot in the rut because rut rut hunts are, are totally different because I hunt pinch points. Right. So, so that's just deer traveling through an area and it could be deer that have are two miles away and they don't even know that I've been in there for the last four days. They're just coming through that area to, to go from bedding area to bedding area. So it's totally different in the, in the early season. Like I'm, uh, again, I'm looking for that dummy deer. That's not hard to hard to kill. Like I want to get out there and, and if I see them first night and I can't get a shot, if I have good entry and exit, I think that's the biggest thing is you need to make sure that that deer is never crossing your trail. Mm-hmm. If he is never crossing your trail, um, which I have a few spots like that in the early season, um, I'll, I'll hunt them un- until we get into the pre-rut. Okay. You know, um, just because like, if they don't have the opportunity to cross your scent trail and they're, they're not getting going to wind you from your stand. Like if you're, if you're entering from the North, the deer moves East and West and you're setting up on the North side of his trail and you have a South wind. So the wind's always in your face, the entire way you're walking in, you're never crossing his trail and he's only going below like essentially below you to the south from you and the wind's always in your favor the entire time i have no problem hunting that five six seven times until you see them um, or until you get a crack at them or until you a lot of times you just run out of time and all of yep. a sudden it's the pre-rut you know yep. you can only hunt so many days you know a lot of us have jobs and everything and you get two weekends you know and then you're out <laughs> and then yep. it's and then you're looking at some other pattern so yeah, I think uh, I think in your in your scenario, it's just uh, I would go with luck. Like you just got unlucky on that, especially <laughs> if you have a good entry and exit route. Um, and it sucks. It's just that's just the way it is. And the other thing I always like to think about is people are like, oh man, you know that I should have been out there. My buck came by on trail camera right in front of my stand. Well, the odds that he came by right in front of your stand probably pretty high because you're not there. Yeah, for so sure. If that is if that is the scenario that keeps happening to you consistently, those deer are watching you or they're understanding that you're coming. They're they're smelling you, they're hearing you, they're watching you. Whatever it is, they know that you're there. Um, so if that happens to you consistently, like you're like every year, I don't sit in the stand and there he is. It's well, fix your entry and exit route. Yeah, for sure. And I don't care if you, you currently walk a hundred yards and now you need to walk a mile fix it. Otherwise you're going to keep having that same problem. Yeah. Fix it or find a new spot. Right. Like, exactly. Find a new yeah. place to sit. Yeah. Yep. You yeah. got it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so and that could have been the scenario in your situation too. I, I don't know. Sure. Sure. I, I was, I was pretty confident on, on entry and exit, pretty confident on, on the fact that he didn't see me. I just, like you said, I just, I think I just got unlucky on that, but it, it really got me second guessing that 
that whole idea of um, first sit, best sit, which I, th- I think is is generally true. But I got too hung up on, well, I didn't see him again the next time or the next time, then the whole spot is burned. Like I just counted the whole thing. Yeah. Off. And I, I think that was a little premature, uh, especially maybe dealing with early season. Do you think, do you think you can get away with a little bit more? Like, like if you get picked off on, let's say September 20th, is that different for you than getting picked off on October 10th? I think it's no, I, th- I think that deer are going to be just as if you get, if you get picked off in the tree, like, don't even bother hunting that again. Okay. Um, if you're getting, if you get picked off, like walking in or you're like on the ground, then there's a little leeway there. Um, because you could still be a hiker or whatever right away in the early season, you know? Um, I don't, I just don't. Yeah. If, I mean, if you get picked off in a tree, like just move. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's a difference in getting picked off on September 20th because because it's going to register in their head like, oh, crap, it's time game time. Yep, I'm out. You know, on October 20th, I like, yeah, if you get picked off, you're certainly certainly or October 10th. Yeah, you're definitely like out of the game and I wouldn't sit that tree again. Um, And I, I think deer seeing you, it's it's not as bad as them smelling you, but it's still not. It's certainly not good. Sure. Like, I, I think the hierarchy goes smelling you is the worst, seeing you is second worst and hearing you, you can get a late way with a lot of noise as long as it's not a human noise. It's not metal on metal yeah. um, or it's you. I mean, I've, I've coughed in a stand and not had a buck flinch before. Like sneezing is not good. <laughs> I can tell you that <laughs> a sudden sharp tone through the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Um, but I, I've, I've coughed in a, in a stand, um, swallowed part of my face mask, right? You're just sitting there, your face mask is up <laughs> and all of a sudden you like get a piece of cotton or whatever down your throat uh. cough. Um, I've done that before and, and I have not had a, a, I've had bucks not flinch at that. Um, but, and even just like walking in leaves, like it, it certainly can trigger them to, to get up and run, but it's not, um, it's not the end all be all if they hear you. Like yeah. that you can get away with that a lot more. You just can't get away if they smell you, your toast. Sure. Sure. Well, all right, man, we've been, uh, we've been getting after it for a pretty good while here. Is there anything else early season related that you want to cover? I mean, we hit on a lot of stuff you know, I want to have you on again. Cause we talked a lot about scrapes. We talked a lot about rubs and, and I'd love to have you on again to maybe talk a little bit about that transition time. Uh, and I saw too, on your podcast, like you had a, a whole really cool series of podcasts that I need to go listen to where you kind of broke the season down. You did like nine episodes for early season, nine episodes for rut pre-rut and then nine episodes for, was it late season? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So that's, yeah. I, so I appreciate if, you plugging that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and I want you to do the same here in just a minute because uh, you know, that was one of the things just, as I, I found you on Instagram and started looking into your stuff and I'm like, man, this guy, not only experience, but also all the folks that you got to talk to when you were doing those episodes. I'm like, yeah. I got to have this dude on to talk, <laughs> talk early season. So man, that um, is selfishly. That is one of the best reasons to start a podcast is you get to talk to a lot of people who hunt a lot more than you do yeah. and in a lot of different situations. So For you sure. get to just, it's like, uh, it's like if, if you could take a, a stream of information and just push it into your brain, 
that's what podcasting in like the whitetail series is like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, to be honest, that's one of the reasons that I, that I started this podcast. One is to celebrate sort of everything outdoors in Wisconsin. Cause sure. I moved up here. My first thought was like, man, these folks in Wisconsin don't understand how good they have it. You know, cause I heard, I heard guys like griping about, you know, DNR, this and that, and about this stuff about their public lands, DNR is not doing anything. I'm like, no, move, move to Alabama. <laughs> and I'll show, I'll show you what it looks like when a DNR doesn't care about their hunters. You know, no, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious a bit with that, but, <laughs> but just the, the amount of opportunity that, that there is here in Wisconsin, man. It, there it's is. Just, yeah. It's I mean, crazy. I don't, I don't know what it, I don't know if it's like a human predisposition to, to talk about drama more than happiness. Um, you know, I think it's like, that's a, that's a totally different problem that we have as a society is like, you know, we, we shun people who are like, dude, I got a promotion today. Like people like stop bragging. But if people are like, dude, my boss is a total jerk. They're like, oh yeah, tell me more. I can, I can complain about mine too. Yeah. And yeah. I can jump on this train. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's a, that's a big problem. And yeah. People need to, people need to be happy with what they have and, and fight to keep what they have um, and, and hopefully expand on it. But yeah. I think gratitude is something we all need a little bit more help with. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, tell us uh, anything else uh, early season that you're like, Hey, um, you didn't ask me this and you should have. Yeah. We talked about, we talked about pressure. We talked about sign um, flat out like buck bedding areas, man. Those are, those are really tough. Um, I don't have a whole lot of experience with them. I've found a few and I've hunted a few um, with no success but I know that they were in there. I've had trail cameras on them or in that general area and, and they will show up in daylight. It's just one of those things that they might have 15 different satellite buck beds, you know, and so they can go at anyone at any time and you would never know. And some of them aren't based on wind at all. It's just wherever they feel like going that day. Yep. Um, one of the other things that, that we Parker and I noticed last year, pretty consistently actually which is kind of crazy is that deer were entering egg fields with the wind at their back not at their face that would go against what what a lot of folks on tv want to tell you Cor- correct so and we don't know couldn't tell you couldn't tell you the reasoning at all it's just like look at the trail camera data that that we had and and parker kept an excel spreadsheet of everything and deer were entering the egg fields with the wind at their back the majority of the time it was like 72 percent of the time or something wow we think like and this is on public private ground this is on private ground but i think it can relate it can push we can push to public ground it pushed anybody um we think it's because they can see everything in the egg field already they don't need to smell it. They can see everything out there, um, especially a soybean field. They need to smell a coyote sneaking up behind them. Yep. So that's 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 our thought on that. Um, but that was something that was really unique that we found. So if you're hunting ag fields and you think you can, or you're hunting the edges of ag fields or trails off ag fields, and that was a dilemma I had for a long time is like, well, I need, uh, you know, the deer is going to enter this field with a North wind, but if I hunted on a North wind, he's going to smell me too. So what the hell's like, what can I do? You know, then you have to try to sit like an off wind or something like that in order to make it work. And that's just not the case. 
Mm-hmm. I think if you go out there and just hunt it when it's a good wind for you, you have to hope the deer makes the mistake, not the other way around. Yeah. 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 So, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense on the ag fields. That was kind of one of the, the first things that I was thinking of was for, for predator reasons. I mean, ag fields don't offer a lot of cover for coyotes or whatever else, maybe right. trying to chase the deer down, but the woods do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like you said, they can see everything out in front of them basically. And they can be reasonably sure that a coyote's not holed up somewhere, you know, right. Just laying down in the bean field. Yeah. Just waiting, <laughs> just waiting, right. Just waiting. So yeah. yeah, that was one, that was one tip that I thought I'd add in. That was pretty unique. Um, that we really kept track of last year and, and it was interesting to see other than that. No, I think we, we covered most of it. Um, and everyone's situation is different. So if you're hunting hill country or, or big woods or marshes, it, it, it's all different. The, the big priority there is, is try to find the food, find the sign on the food, whether it's maple leaves or oaks or apple trees or soybean fields or alfalfa fields, whatever, find the food, um, try to find the tracks on that food and then backtrack it to a bedding area. Yeah. One more question that I just thought of yeah. that, that I, that I meant to ask you earlier. So, um, I went on a little drive this afternoon, like you, man, the, the soybean fields are looking awful around me. They're all, I mean, they're all completely yeah. yellow. Last year was a little bit different. Uh, last year, some of the fields were green and starting to turn a little bit right there at the beginning of the season. Um, but I had been told previously, like, as soon as that field starts to yellow, just hang it up, move on. Um, have you noticed that? I, Cause I, I still saw some deer using those bean fields, even after some of it had started to yellow. So mm-hmm. do you, do, do you see that is, is that just because there wasn't a good acorn crop or is that? Um, yeah, I haven't. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. Okay. I don't have enough. I, I've never taken the time that's just something that I've always grown up with that people have always told me, which is a great point. Like sometimes that stuff's not true. (laughs) Um, and I just, I, I haven't, I haven't taken the time to run cameras on soybean fields at that point. Sure. You're Um, moving them by then and actually keep the data on it. I, I know I did when I was younger. Um, but honestly, I have, like I told you, we talked about earlier, trail cameras, you lay them out for two reasons, one for inventory, two for killing. I almost do all my trail cameras on killing. Hmm. I, I do almost all of them on trails that I've scouted and know are decent trails um, or on scrapes. And that's where I put all my cameras for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years. Um that's all, that's all I've done. And I just like hunting public ground. I don't even, I don't even factor in, um, putting cameras on, on egg fields and trying to kill deer on them. Cause it's just never happened for me. Yeah. Just a lost cause. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I use the egg fields to, to enter and exit and look for tracks and sign and find trails that come to and from, but that's the extent of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't put any stock in those egg fields besides as a nocturnal food source that they'll get to at you know, 11 PM. Sure. Sure. All right. Well, Anthony, thanks for your time. Where, where can folks find more from you? Like I said, you're, you're putting out some really cool stuff. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on here. So where can we find your podcast and everything else? Thank you. I appreciate that. And the podcast is on, um, any, any podcast app you guys have iTunes, Stitcher, 
I, I don't even remember them off the top of my head, but yeah, it delivers to all of them. So wherever it is, just look it up. It's deer vein and that's D E E R. So just like a deer and then vein V A N E. So kind of like the vein on your arrow. Um, so deer vein, and then you can find me on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok, on go wild, um, on the podcast as well. So YouTube too, you can find me there. I don't do a ton on YouTube. I need to do more to be honest. I just do the, like a lot of the, like what you, how you saw found me is one minute video clips. Um, yep. I do a lot of one minute tips. So I'll typically do four or five of those a week. So you can just find those on, on TikTok and go wild and Instagram and Facebook. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where I live and that's what I, that's what I do. Sweet. <laughs> and then the, uh, Oh, you mentioned that the whitetail series. So yeah, last year I did, uh, it was 27 episodes um, on whitetail hunting tactics and all those podcasts are released roughly like a week before the actual time frame of the season. So like, if you're wanting to, to know about the rut, like I'm going to throw that, those podcasts out in like late October. So then you can actually use the tactics that you hear on the podcast in the rut this year. You don't have to, you know, listen to them you know, on November 20th, when the rut's pretty much already over and you're like, ah, I wish I would have known this before. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the whitetail series. Um, we've already got four podcasts in the bag going to start putting those out next week, um, all on the early season. And that's, that's always a fun last year is the first time I did it. And it was really fun. And this, this year it's already shaping up to be pretty fun. Got a couple, couple good kills, um, to talk about already. So Awesome guys that were successful in the early season. And that's always fun to hear is how, how they got there. Yeah, right? for sure. For sure. So, yeah. Thanks for having me on Josh. Appreciate it. I yeah, hope thanks. enjoyed it and it was great talking to you and meeting you. Yeah, you too, man. Have a good, uh, have a good hunting season. Good luck. Hope you knock one down on the opening day. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Appreciate right. it. And that is it for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed recording it. Uh, Looking forward to catching up with Anthony a little bit later on in the season and uh, possibly talking some pre-rut and rut strategies to help make us more effective in the whitetail woods this season. Be sure to check out Deer Vane. Anthony's got a lot of good content and a lot of cool stuff coming up on his podcast, so Uh, Don't miss out on that as well. And until next time, get out in the woods. It's almost bow season. Make sure your bow is shooting straight and get out and enjoy all the opportunities that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.